Good morning, Paragon Church. You may be seated. As we continue our time of worship, we're going to enter into the proclamation of His Word. But I want to read this passage for you this morning. Ephesians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me. This will be the passage that we're discussing this morning. But it's so nice I had to say it twice. Amen? Man, you're quiet. That was a good one. I got plenty more if you want some. Okay. Last week we talked about uh, the grace of God. So continuing that thought, beginning in verse 11, Paul writes, Therefore, ah, what is that therefore, therefore? Remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier that divided them. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. And might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access to the one Spirit of the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and are of God's household having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are being built together into a dwelling of God in his spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for an opportunity that we can come and we can lift our voices in fellowship together in adoration of who you are. That our corporate worship would be a cry of our heart, a longing to know you and see you more. And Lord, as we continue our time of worship by exalting your word before us, let us walk away from this message this morning encouraged, maybe a little convicted, but pointing our eyes towards Christ and Christ alone. 
You are our chief cornerstone. It is in Jesus' beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Bruce. If you uh, caught that, we are in Ephesians chapter 2 today. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd love for you to open up to those. As you open up, I'm going to send our kids out to go to their classes today. So you see a whole bunch of people waiting over there just for you to go over. And they want to invest in you this morning as they do that. Um, like I said, you can up to, open up to Ephesians chapter 2. If you do not have a Bible, this would be a great time for you to go out and grab one off of our table out front. One for you to keep. It's the translation that we use, which is the CSB. Or, if you want to, you can scan this QR code right here with your phone. And this QR code that's going to come up here on the screen in just a second is one that will take you to the CSB Bible. And it will take you right to Ephesians chapter 2, so you don't even have to search for it. It will take you where you need to go, because we're going to be diving in. Now, this morning, you heard us start off with... A bit of a old southern style singing. You're going to end up today with some old southern style chili. And in the midst of it all, you're going to hear some southern style messages. It challenges us and speaks to us in our heart. And we've been in this series now called Made Worthy for eight weeks. Eight weeks we've been in it, and we've been diving into this as we've been looking at how we are made worthy in Christ. That's the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. That's what it talks about. Come June, after Memorial Day, we're going to be switching from made worthy to walk worthy, because walk worthy is our response to being made worthy, and that's what is being written in this whole passage of the book of Ephesians, in this letter. Today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, and as Pastor Bruce read, we're going to start in verse 11, but we're only going to go through 18 today. And as we go through 18 next week, we're going to pick, excuse me, pick up verses 19 through 22. And I'll tell you, this is an amazing passage. And it's not just an amazing passage, it's an amazing passage that challenges us, and maybe even more accurately, it commands us to remember. It commands us to remember. Now, why does Paul, in all of this, command us to remember? Because by nature, over time, we forget. We often forget, even the greatest moments of days ago, 14 days ago. And I thought about that and said, it's so easy for us to kind of set it aside. We lose the freshness of an event, whether it be a tragic event or an amazing event. We lose that freshness, and that's the reason why Paul challenges and commands us to remember, to bring the freshness back. Really, in this, he's doing it for the second time in as many verses. In a way, as we look at 11 through 18 and even 11 through 22, you're going to see the same pattern that he gave in verses 1 through 10 that we've covered over the last couple of weeks. It talks about in verse 1 through 10 that we once were. That we used to walk in the ways of the world. That we were lost in our sin. But then there was those two words. Those two words we focused on that Sunday and it changed everything. And those two words are, but God. But God made us alive in Christ and he reminded us of the blessings that we have in Christ that he lists out in Ephesians chapter 1. And then we looked last week at why. Why did he do that in the first place? For what purpose did he do that? And the purpose was for good works for his glory. For us to do good works for his glory. And then in 11 through 22, he repeats that same series 
of events. But he makes a bit of a shift. In 1 through 10, he's talking to the individual. In 11 through 22, he starts talking on a corporate level, as a whole. He talks about the blessings that we have, even as a church. The church, he reminds, of our spiritual past. When we are separated from Christ and from the family of God. He follows up that passage that we've already read, uh, that Pastor Bruce read, with two words that are very similar in life change to but God. He says, but now, in Christ Jesus, we are made different. We are built together. We're being reconciled to God and to his family. See, we once were aliens to God and his family. Now we're being reconciled to God in Christ. And the result, which again we'll talk about next week, we're being built together into a holy temple. And the cornerstone of that temple is Christ. And the Lord will dwell in in us in the Spirit. Through it all, Paul is driving home a point that he actually made a couple of chapters ago in in chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, where he says this, He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ, as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ. That's all of us, everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. So he is reconciling all things together in Christ. This, this reconciliation is something that was a mystery. It was a mystery to people that they did not understand. It hadn't been revealed to the ages before. But then God reveals it. And that's the revelation is found in actually chapter 3, verse 6, that we'll talk about in a couple of weeks. It says this, the Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. See, Paul wanted the church to remember how we became the church. He wanted them to remember who we were, who we are now, and our purpose, our mission. He wanted them to remember these things. Now, we need to remember first this fact, as he's talking about remembering. Our condition before God saved us by grace was not good. As a matter of fact, it was bad. We'll just call it what it is. And it's the same truth for all believers that have gone before us, that before they became believers, they were in a bad state. They were separated. We were separated from God. Or even a better description might be this. We were at war. We were at war with God, and we were at war with others. Now, you probably know that I'm a sports fan. I I use lots of sports references, and as a sports fan, I have my favorite teams. And because... I have my favorite teams. It also means I have my not-so-favorite teams. They're the teams that we, well, we'll use the word gently and say despise, okay? Um, they're They're the teams that we really do not like. They are what we might call our rival. There are our rivals, and every fan They know their rivals. And if you're a sports fan, you know other people's rivals because you'll tune in to watch those rivalry games because those rivalry games just have an extra special tension that hangs in the air. There's something fun about the state games between Arizona State and Arizona, Oregon State and Oregon, you know, those state games like that. You have your Duke, North Carolina, and basketball. They're all just miles apart from each other, but there's such a rivalry there that that it, it drives this undercurrent of dislike. 
It drives an undercurrent of dislike between the fan bases. And even if it's a good friends team that you're playing against, that your team is playing against, you have to put on that good game smile when it's over. But really, there's an uneasy feeling inside that you really don't feel comfortable saying good game to either them or the team that you just played against. It's a natural thing that we have. And the thing is, I say there's an undercurrent of dislike, but there's some psychotic people out there. And you know them already. You have those people that are out there that it's way more than just an undercurrent of dislike. They literally loathe the other team and its fan base. To use a biblical word that, that Bruce read up front, enmity, a hostility towards those people. You might say, well, what is wrong with those people? It's just a game. I'll say I agree, kind of. Because it's not just a game. I mean, it is just a game, but really when you stop and think about it, sports is just a microcosm of life. It's a microcosm of life. It's a picture of the rivalry we have between nations. It's a picture of the rivalry we have between enemies, between family members. It's a rivalry we have between races and between genders and even between ourselves. Yeah, we have a rivalry between ourselves, don't we? You ever watch Tom and Jerry? There's the angel mouse and there's the devil mouse. As a matter of fact, we were just watching Emperor's New Groove like two days ago and I completely forgot about Kronk and, and when he's got the, the devil one and the angel one, he's like, the angel one sitting there and playing his little harp thing and doing all the kind of stuff he does and the devil one says, he's there to lead you on the path of righteousness. I'm here to lead you on the path that rocks. And, and, and you know, you, you get that mentality. We have this fight that is within us that we're constantly at war with ourselves. And it's been that way since the beginning. It's been that way since the beginning. See, if you go back to our original statement that we're at war, and we know that it, war, and just about every other war known to mankind is based on one thing, pride. Pride and even passion. If you want to go back to the, there's power in the blood, what did he say? It said, would I be free from the passion and pride? But no, there's power in the blood to free us from that. But isn't that pride that sets off the wars, isn't that the same thing that started this whole mess in the first place? Isn't that what started my war with God in the first place? I mean, when you say it from the beginning, Jesus has come for this reason to crush these wars, to break down these walls, to tear the veil in two. And our passage today says that because of our sin and because of our pride that we are separated. We are foreigners. We've been a word here that says alienated. Alienated. And we see that we've been alienated in at least two different ways, two different forms due to sin. The first alienation we have is between each other. Between each other, as sinners, we dislike other people. Anybody in here have somebody you don't like? Don't raise your hand. Because I, I don't want to call you out, but everybody's going to put their hand up. Because all of us have that one person. And sometimes it might even go further than, I just don't dislike them. I hate them. That is a real word that we see play out. And as sinners, we have that. We don't just dislike people. We look down on them and take self pride in our differences and somehow some way that we are better than them 
whether it be racial, whether it be social, whether it be gender, whether it be economic, and sometimes it's even religious. Second part of alienation that we see is between us and God. Us and God. My will and his will clash on a regular basis. And can I tell you something? As a sinner, that becomes messy. It becomes messy. It's why Paul starts in verse 11 with that word, therefore. Or if you're reading from the CSB, so then. So then, tying back to verses 1 through 10. That is what it's there for. Because you have been saved through faith, by grace, to a life of good works. Remember where you came from. That's what Paul is trying to say to us. Remember how you were alienated from God. Remember how you were alienated from others. Remember your past. Remember your past and guess what you should do? Praise God for his grace. Now Paul doesn't say it here, but he says it in other letters. He uses the word rejoice. Find joy in that salvation. Find joy that God has saved you and reconciled you through the work on the cross so that we might walk in humility. What's the humility the opposite of? Pride. That we might put away that pride and give glory to God and share the message of reconciliation with others. As a matter of fact, Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians. That's our job, to share the message of reconciliation with others. Now, this is a powerful command. It's a powerful command when you put it in the context of who he's writing to because there was a major divide to the people that he's writing to in Ephesus. See, the Ephesus or the Ephesian Gentiles were despised by the Ephesian Jews and it was felt mutual. It went both ways, vice versa. And there was a long history of bitterness between them. And guess what? Just because people get saved doesn't mean they go, oh, all my baggage, I'm just going to let go over here, I'm going to walk into the church and there's going to be perfect harmony. There wouldn't be as many denominations in church if that were the case, right? They were still a work in progress. So we have this problem that Paul is writing to. It's a problem that we still see today, but problem number one that we see specifically here is Jews and Gentiles didn't get along and Jews view Gentiles as second-class citizens. Why? Why would they be considered second-class citizens? Well, there were religious differences. You have to understand, for over 2,000 years, from Abraham until Christ, God chose to work almost exclusively with the Jews. So if you were a Gentile, the only way to have your sins forgiven before Christ was to be circumcised and follow the Jewish rituals and the sacrificial system. But even then, and kids, if you're wondering what that means, talk to your parents about that. Um, Here's what we have to understand. That even if you did that, you were still viewed as a second-class citizen. There There was actually a special section in the temple that was called the Court of the Gentiles. It was the furthest place from the Holy of Holies. And there was actually a five-foot wall built between the Court of the Gentiles and anything else that was Jewish. There was constantly a separation that was taking place. The Jewish Pharisees, they would actually pray a prayer of thanksgiving to God with these words in it. God, I thank you that you didn't make me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. That was their prayer of thanksgiving to God. 
You want a little divide? You want a little tension? When you're praying prayers like that, you're going to get it. There was religious separation, and that religious separation actually led to a cultural and racial separation. And I say the word separation, I mean hatred. There was a hatred there. Jews called Gentiles unclean dogs, and dogs aren't like our little pups that we have running around at our house back then. They were scavengers. They were mean. They were gross. They were not friendly. And this is the dog, this is what they're calling them. You know, they actually refused to eat. Jews refused to eat with a Gentile. We see that even into Peter having to go to Cornelius. All that takes place in the book of Acts. If a Gentile woman went into labor and she was having struggles with her pregnancy, with, with the delivery, a Jew would refuse to help her in any way because it was better to have two de- Gentiles than bring another Gentile into the world. That's the hatred that Paul is writing to in Ephesians here. That we have to see this picture because there's such a tension that is there. And the thing is, is the Gentiles, they felt the same way towards the Jews. The Greeks and Romans saw their culture and language and philosophy as superior to all others. Actually, the term barbarian came because there is a word that the Greeks would use because it just sounded like barbar gibberish when anybody who wasn't speaking Greek was talking. So that's where the term barbarian came from. And, you know, as we look at that, the reason why is because the Greeks truly believe that they spoke the language of the gods. The Romans believed, I mean, they had their own god system. What's the foundation of all that? It's pride. It's pride. Even though God had made it clear to the Jews in Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 8, that he did not choose them because of anything they did or anything was even in them, he chose them out of the goodness of his heart and they should not be pride or proud over it. They still took pride in it and despised anyone who wasn't one of them. And even though Paul had made it clear that God chose the Gentiles by grace, through faith, they still took pride in it. Even though while they were dead in their sins, they were in danger. As a matter of fact, Romans 11 tells us they were in danger of becoming proud of their status that God had given them. Do we ever find ourselves in that case? As Christians, do we ever find ourselves in a place where we feel more superior because we forget that it was only by God's amazing grace that anything happened? I mean, when you stop and think about it, we forget. We forget. And that is why Paul says you have to remember. We see it happen even still today. Uh, On Thursday night, uh, we had our third Thursday prayer meeting. And by the way, Matthew, thanks so much for bringing your shakers back. We were supposed to do music on Thursday. got a little hectic, and we, we just did prayer, and he brought his shakers to be part of it. And he has to be a part of it this morning. So thank you, Matthew, for bringing the shakers and being a part with us this morning. Yes? And as we sat here, we were talking about humility. That was one of the things we prayed for. And, and uh, one of our elders, Reese, shared about a guy he knows that, that works in the United Kingdom. And how the United Kingdom, even though it's full of cathedrals, even though it has its own Church of England, even though it has all the things, you can walk on the street and say the name Jesus and people don't even know what that name means, much less what he did for them. Here's the thing. They're in a post-Christian culture. But how far away are we? When we rest on our pride, and think, well, I've got Jesus, that's all that matters. Instead of sharing him with people who are in desperate need. Paul says, hey, you need to remember 
put your pride aside and remember that people out there were just like you at one point in time until God came into your life. So he says in verse 12, here's what you need to remember. Remember when you were in their situation before God had saved you. The first thing he says before God saved you, you were separated from Christ. You were cut off. You were unreconciled. You were without the blessings that we talked about in Ephesians chapter 1. There was no share of the inheritance in heaven. Before God saved you, you were an outsider. You were an outsider. You were excluded from the citizenship of Israel. You were an alien. Now, we use the word alienated earlier, but I think sometimes we forget because we get this picture of, you know, E.T. and things like that in our mind. What an alien truly is. By definition, an alien means you don't belong. You're a stranger. You don't belong here. The Psalms actually says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. It also tells us the God of Israel is the Lord. So if you're not in that, you're out of it. And if you're out of it, you're in a whole world of hurt. You didn't belong. Now, I'll ask you this. Have you ever been to a foreign country where you didn't speak the language and you didn't know the customs? How awkward did you feel? How out of place did you feel? Now I'm going to park it and I'm going to swing it around over to the church because here's the deal. We tend to get comfortable in the church and forget there's people that don't get Christianese. They don't get Christian culture. And when they walk in, they feel awkward and then they don't ever come back. How are we doing to reach out and be a part? And remember that we once were outsiders as well. We were once aliens, but now in Christ, it all changed. Before God saved you, you were also a foreigner to the covenant of the promise. You ever stopped and thought about this before? How many people live and die without ever knowing anything about God and his covenant with his people. How many people? How many people have never heard the gospel before? I mean, even think, I mean, we obviously think third world country, we think tribes in the middle of Africa that never heard of that stuff. We just said England. I mean, that, 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 that truly is mind-blowing. How can we even wrap our heads around it. You know, you were once that way, and you could have always been. But God, but God, had you born at the right place, at the right time, and have the right person share the gospel with you. Isn't that amazing just to stop and think about? And we forget that, though, that we were once a foreigner to the covenant. But now, let me tell you this, you are that right person to share the gospel with somebody else. Before God saved you, that passage, that verse says you had no hope. When Pastor Bruce was reading, he paused. Because just stop and think about a life without hope. The hope that is found in Jesus Christ, the hope that is found in the Messiah, the hope, he was the hope of Israel. And by God's grace, he became the hope for the rest of the world as well. People live in a world without hope. They're trying to eliminate God from the picture, and then they try and figure out why our world is such a mess. Why do we have these mass school shootings? Why do we have all of the craziness that happens? Why do we have these people who are struggling to figure out who they are? Because they've eliminated God and forgot who they were. I I can't imagine that. Because I've known Jesus for well over half of my life. But the people who don't, they are lost in what they think is right. 
And that's why he says next, before God saved you, you were without God in the world. I mean, those last few words of, of the end of verse 12, without hope and without God in the world, that's got to be a brutal place to be. When you're living only for yourself, what are you living for besides that? I mean, I just read a Colson Center Breakpoint article on Thursday that talked about how people are giving up on all things community-related. How the percentages are way down on people who invest in community. And that goes from patriotism and country to religion to serving to having children and even tolerating other people who aren't like them. But instead they turn to what? Money and self. That's what's on the rise. Our values are crumbling and the author said this, if there is no moral design to reality or humanity, what people value is inconsequential. If it's all about the individual and what they want is their happiness, that's going to lead to a moral collapse and not just a moral collapse, a societal collapse. When the only purpose that you have is yourself, you can't answer the question we asked last week. Why am I here? What purpose am I living for? Because I'll guarantee if you think it's for yourself, it's going to run dry and you're going to be like, well, now what? Paul wants us to remember these things so we never forget where we would be if the Lord had not scratched us and snatched us from the pit of despair. The pit of despair because of our sin and our pride. Why? Because when we forget, we become lukewarm. When we become lukewarm, we become apathetic. We become apathetic towards the grace of God and we lose the joy that is found in our salvation. We lose motivation to take the gospel out to the lost because we forget how lost they truly are. So Paul commands us, remember. He says, remember. But then he says this in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. If you want a coffee mug verse, this is it. This is the one you get your cricket machine going and you put it on there because here's what it says. Find joy in your salvation. Find joy in it. Rejoice in it every morning when you wake up. Paul doesn't say it here, but he says it in other letters, to rejoice. As a matter of fact, you, if you grew up in church and went to church camp, you know, we sang some of the older songs, but you probably remember the one at church camp that said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. And you went, yeah, you remember. And we sang it in the round. You know, whatever that meant. I don't, you know, th- that was the, the mentality. We, we, we sang about rejoicing in the Lord. We can't forget who He is. And Paul tells us what we need to rejoice in in this next verse. He says, rejoice that God's salvation resulted in a whole new life for you. When he says those words, but now, that is huge, huge. You once were, but now you are. So rejoice. Do you have a but now moment? Do you have a but God moment? If you do, rejoice. If you don't, let's talk. Let's talk about who God is and what He has done. Rejoice that God's salvation resulted in you being in Christ. We talked about that last week. How many times that that Paul mentions in Christ because that is where we find our identity. That is our identity now. We talked about the results of of that in Ephesians chapter 1. Rejoice that God's salvation resulted in you being Brought near. It brought you near. We're no longer strangers. We are no longer aliens that don't belong. We've been brought near to the presence of God through the blood of Christ. 
Rejoice that you've been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. There's power in the blood. There's power in the blood. Over and over and over we sing that, but do we forget it? Because in Hebrews, it actually tells us by the blood we've been washed clean once and for all. Once and for all. We don't need the Old Testament rules or regulations or rituals to come near to God anymore. Now we come near to God. Rejoice that the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. That those dividing walls have been torn down. We're no longer at war with God or with each other. That's the reason why we see that picture of the temple and the Holy of Holies having that huge, thick veil and then that five-foot wall and the Gentiles are way out here. All that came down. The, the veil was torn. And the wall crumbled because we are brought together. And that's why he writes this in verses 14 through 16. For he, Jesus, is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of the commands and expressed in the regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. And he did this so he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross, by which he put the hostility to death. Rejoice in peace through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We rejoice in that because there's that word in there. Peace. There's a word peace that, <laughs> oh, I'll tell you, it's so often mentioned in our culture. It's the one that the people are constantly striving for. And sometimes they'll get a little temporary taste of it. But guess what? It's only temporary. Peace comes from Jesus. And I'm going to take a few extra minutes on this rejoicing because through the finished work of Jesus on the cross, it says He is our peace, which means we have peace with each other. We have peace with God. We even have peace within ourselves only because of His work on the cross. By His death, Jesus destroyed enmity. He destroyed hostility. He destroyed hatred. By His death, those methods of separation in the temple, they came down. The walls came down. The veil was torn in two, the one that separated us from God by faith in Christ's atonement. Both Gentile and Jew can come to the throne of grace with confidence to worship God. And they can love one another because, as it says in verse 14, the two have been made one in Christ. Can you imagine what the Ephesian people must have been thinking as they heard this letter from Paul? That this hatred they'd had literally for thousands of years is done. How how do they undo that? How how do they work through that? Well, he's saying, you know, you guys are no longer two separate things. You guys are now one. He says one man. He means the church. At the foot of the cross, the ground is level. It is equal. There's no special thing that separates those who get to come to Christ like at the temple. There's nothing based on background. There's nothing based on race. There's nothing based on gender. There's nothing based on economic status. I love that song now, This Is Our God by Phil Wickham, because it says, those walls, they're rubble now. They're rubble now. We're all saved the same. Sinners saved by grace. We love each other the same way that Christ loved us. All those laws of purification, all those rituals, all of those uh, you know, basic ordinances, all the regulations, all those moral laws for salvation, Christ fulfilled those. And those rituals are no longer needed. 
Now, we are in Christ. We look to the cross. We die to ourselves. We live and we love for Him. There's power in that blood. Because again, we are in Him. We have a new identity. And we are a child of God. And Paul writes this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. One that's used often. In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew. Circumcision or uncircumcision. Barbarian, Scythian, slave and free. But Christ is all and in all. On that cross... Christ established unity and he destroyed hostility between each of us. That's what we see. We rejoice that through the cross, Christ also reconciled us all to God. And I underline all and I capitalize it on my things because it's all. In these three verses, first Paul talks about a reconciliation with each other, but then he shifts to a reconciliation with God. Through the cross, Christ brought Jews and Gentiles to God to become the church. And now he reconciles this one body to God by putting death of the hostility between God and man. I think we have to understand something. The law condemned us all and condemns us all, no matter if you are Jew or if you are Gentile, because it reveals how we've sinned against God and how we've missed his perfect holy standard. All of us, all human beings except one God, human, missed the mark. But because Jesus perfectly kept God's law, both externally and in his heart, the Father said, this is my beloved Son, in him I am well pleased. Matthew chapter 3. Jesus satisfied God's righteous demands, and through his death on the cross, we're offered complete reconciliation. Complete Not partial, not Jesus did his part, now we do our part. Complete reconciliation and peace if we choose to trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Paul said it this way to the church in Rome, in in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to understand that the basis of our being reconciled to God isn't anything that I did. It's anything that, that you do, but what God did. Through Jesus Christ, by grace, we're able to trust what Jesus did. We rejoice in that. We also rejoice in the fact that the cross, at the cross and through the cross, Christ offered us all, both near and far, peace with God. Verse 17 says this, He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Pagans, Gentiles, sinners of the worst kind, those who are far away. Of course, I'm not talking about any of you. Talk about those people, right? Because that's, that's what we tend to do, right? He's preaching and proclaiming the good news to them, to us. That through the blood of Christ, you can have peace with God. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you're doing right now to try and fill that void that only God can fill. Like that old hymn says, And come ye sinners. Come ye sinners, Poor and needy. He says, He stands ready to save you and bring you near. Can I tell you that's the good news of peace? On the flip side, those who are already near, or at least think they are, religious people, the ones who know about God, the ones who know His commands, the ones who know about the rituals and the observances, but don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, those who consider themselves near, He's saying, Please know that your good works and religious knowledge, and the observance of the rules, they're not going to save you, and they're not going to save anyone else for that matter. 
matter of fact, Paul, going back to the book of Philippians, says this in Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. He's talking to those who boast in Christ, and he's putting a comparison to those who think they are near. He says these words, verse 3 of chapter 3 in Philippians, For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Talking about Christians. Although I have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul's just blunt. Circumcised on the eighth day, the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Wow. That's impressive. That's a great resume, as a matter of fact. But then listen to what he says in verse 7. But everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. I could stop there, but 8 and 9 are pretty good too. So let's keep going. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but the one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. What he's saying here is, if you're trying to work and earn your way to God, to try and build a relationship to him, you're going to fail. I guarantee. Peace with God comes only through the work in Christ on the cross. He paid the debt in full once and for all, for all who would believe. That is great news. So we get to rejoice. And finally, we rejoice in the fact that through the cross, we all have access to the Father in one spirit. Verse 18, let me read it for you. For through him, Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That's a pretty short verse, but you know what Paul does in that pretty short verse? He actually lays out the Trinity in the one verse. Don't know if he was intentional about that, but he lays it out there, and as he does, he's saying maybe this. The Trinity shows the unity and harmony and cooperation that we should strive for in the church. I mean, think, the one God has been in perfect fellowship and love between three persons from and to all eternity. Can anybody say that about their house? Yeah. What Paul is also saying is this. The very heart of the gospel is relationship. The very heart of the gospel is relationship. Because of the work of Jesus on the cross, we have access to the Father, and we have the indwelling of the Spirit. The people Paul were writing to would not take this for granted. Because for 2,000 years, they didn't have access to the Father. Their whole lives, they had no direct access. They had to go through something and do certain things. But the walls and veils, they came down. And they had access. I guess probably the best way to explain it is this. Think of a world leader you'd actually want to talk to. I'm not going to get into any politics or anything like that, but just the, the person that you could look at and say, man, I would love to have access to them. Do you think you're just going to walk up and be like, hey, I want to talk to you? And they're going to be like, yeah, come on. No, you're not going to have direct access. You're going to have to go through somebody. As a matter of fact, you're probably going to have to have an in. Because even if you try and go through somebody, you're just going to get lost in the shuffle. But if you have an in, if you know somebody who knows them, you're probably going to get your your desires taken care of. Well, guess what? Through Jesus Christ, we have an in. We have an in to the Father. Through Jesus Christ. And we are brought near to Him. We have to realize. We're brought near through Jesus. 
You're not good enough on your own to do it on your own. And you're not bad enough or so bad that Jesus wouldn't die for you to make it happen. We are brought near to God by Christ and we're brought near to each other by Christ. So as we close, I have two words I want you to remember. One is remember. The other is rejoice. Remember and rejoice. Remember then but now. When we do, it helps us put aside our pride. It helps us to love Jesus more. It helps us to rejoice in all the things that he's done. It helps us to love him and share that love with others, both far and near, and to have a love for those in the family of God. Because even though we're different, we're still one in Christ. We need to rejoice in the all-sufficient merit of Christ. Rejoice in the all-sufficient merit because he paid it all. The maker was made to die, and we can rejoice in that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for who you are. And thank you for the way you continue to work in each and every one of our lives, speaking to us, guiding us, directing us, and loving us even when we stumble along the way. But God, we want to give you all the praise and all the glory. We want to rejoice in you. We want to remember what you did. We want to remember who we were and rejoice in the fact that we are no longer. But if there's somebody in here that still is, still lost in sin, God, I want them to understand the power and the blood. That it's not just some old hymn that old people sing. That God, it is a true word that we rejoice in you, that there is power in that blood that was on that cross that made me into who I am today and is still making me into who you want me to be. We're thankful for the all-sufficient merit that is found in you. God, if there's anybody in this room today that doesn't know you as their Savior, that's never experienced these things, I pray today, this is a day, And that, God, you get the praise and the glory because of it. Pray in your name. Amen.